Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. When I was at uh, Mid-America Reform Seminary, uh, where I attended, there was a bulletin board in the student lounge uh, upon which were posted openings for pastoral positions. And there was one position that was posted on that bulletin board for what I think was the entire three years that I was there. And I never seriously considered applying for that position. And the reason I didn't seriously consider applying for it is because it was a position to pastor in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, Here's Anchorage, Alaska. It looks pleasant enough, but my understanding is that the winters in Alaska are very, very cold, and I find that very, very unappealing. And even probably more unappealing is it's my understanding that for over 20 hours a day in the months of December and January, it's dark outside in Alaska. I mean, this is pretty enough unless you think that this might have been taken at 12.30 in the afternoon. And it has to have all the lights on. And um, I, I know it's, it's different. You make up for it in the summer because it's only dark out for like two hours in stretches of the summer. But I just don't think I could make it through the winter in Alaska because darkness affects people. It's oppressive. Most of you have probably heard of something called seasonal affective disorder. Uh, It's a kind of depression that's related to the darkness of winter. Some of you might experience it. Some of you might be experiencing it right now. Uh, I don't like it when it gets dark out at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and the sun doesn't come up until like 7.30. I'm glad that the days are noticeably getting longer now. But can you imagine going through stretches of weeks where it's dark outside for over 20 hours a day? I mean, that would just be difficult. But it's one thing to have to endure the oppressive darkness of winter as you await spring and summer. But it's another thing to be plunged into darkness with no prospect of escape. Darkness 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year. And that's the experience of anyone who's blind. We take our vision frequently and easily for granted. It's a gift that we have, and not everyone has it. And we encounter someone who doesn't have that gift in Mark chapter 10. I want to read from Mark chapter 10 with you this morning, verses 46 through 52. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them to Mark chapter 10, and we'll begin our reading in verse 46. So as you're finding your place there in the Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped And said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Now, I should mention at this point that uh, this episode in the life and ministry of Jesus is also recorded in Matthew and in Luke, but there are some differences there. Uh, For instance, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke seems to suggest that this happens as they were drawing near the city of Jericho, where Mark and Matthew seem to suggest that it happens while they're leaving Jericho. Now, this seems to me a very minor point, and there are ways to reconcile these accounts, but we're not going to get into all those details this morning. Uh, Furthermore, You might know that while Mark and Luke record the healing of only one blind man, Matthew records that there were actually two blind men healed on this occasion. Now, some would see in this a contradiction, uh, but it's really not a contradiction as long as we understand that Luke and Mark are not saying that there was only one blind man. They simply only mention one blind man. So there are very clear differences in the various Gospels with these two accounts, but there are no contradictions. And in any event, what is very, very clear is that this happens outside of Jericho and it involves the healing of blind men. What I think is more important for us to think about is while we generally understand the parables of Jesus to teach us spiritual truths about the kingdom of God, we don't often think of the miracles that way, but we should. Like the parables of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus teach us spiritual realities. And so, we as Christians can sing, I once was blind, but now I see. Because there's, there's something in this miracle about kingdom truths. And what we read in this particular account is the truth that the merciful Son of David grants deliverance from darkness to all who call upon His name. The merciful Son of David grants deliverance from darkness to all those who call upon His name. So as we consider this spiritual truth this morning, as we think about this deliverance from darkness, I want us to cover three things. First, our requirement of deliverance. Our requirement of deliverance, or we could say our need of deliverance. Now let me just take a second to set this episode in the broader context of the life and ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, the Passover is quickly approaching. And so Jews from all over the place are heading into Jerusalem to celebrate. And so the roads are very crowded with people. And we discover that Jesus himself is on this road to Jerusalem. And Jesus has already announced that this conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, this conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness will reach a culmination at this point in time in Jerusalem where he will be handed over and will be crucified. And so there's no time for interruptions, there's no time for distraction, the most epic event in the history of the world is about to take place. And then near Jericho, we encounter pesky, persistent, annoying cries from someone on the side of the road. And Mark introduces us to this individual. His name is Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus. And if we look at the Gospel of Mark, we can learn a number of things about this Bartimaeus. First of all, the most obvious thing is Bartimaeus is blind. 
He lives in a state of perpetual darkness. And because Bartimaeus is blind, this restricts his ability to work. And so he's poor. He lives a life of poverty. He's reduced to roadside begging. He's dependent upon the kindness and mercy of others as they pass by. And because of this disability, he is unable to do anything to change his situation or condition. He cannot fix himself. He cannot heal his blindness. His only hope is for a miracle of mercy and grace. Bartimaeus requires a kind of deliverance. And the kind of deliverance he requires is a miraculous deliverance of grace and mercy. But if we have eyes to see, we'll see that we are Bartimaeus. We're Bartimaeus. I mean, consider the similarities. Apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus, we are spiritually blind and we are lost in the darkness of sin. We are spiritually poor. We are bankrupt before God. We have no merit, no goodness, no righteousness, and no holiness to bring before Him. And we are helpless in ourselves to do anything to change that condition. We require deliverance. And the deliverance that we require is a miraculous deliverance of mercy and grace. We are Bartimaeus. And until we are willing to admit that this is our spiritual condition, we'll never cry out for the deliverance that we require. We'll always think we're good enough and strong enough to make it on our own before God. And most importantly and most tragically, we'll never understand the good news of the gospel and who Jesus is for us and what he does for us. We'll never seek him out unless we understand that this is our spiritual condition. And I hate to admit it, but perhaps the reason I don't cry out for God's mercy with more urgency and more desperation, with more frequency, is because a lot of the times I just don't think I need Him that much. We just don't think He's required to deliver us from our problems at home or at work or to deliver us from the darkness of our idols, the idols of our heart or our sinful addictions, or to deliver us from our brokenness, or our sin, or to deliver us from the judgment of the Father. Until we humbly admit that we're Bartimaeus, that we're poor, we're blind, we're needy, and we're helpless in ourselves, we'll never cry out to Jesus for mercy, and we'll never make a request for deliverance. So the first thing is, we have to recognize that there's a requirement for deliverance for us. But once we acknowledge that, then it does lead to the second thing, and that is our request for deliverance. Let's consider that a second. Bartimaeus then learns that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by on this road. And he must have heard something about Jesus' power to heal because he begins to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, Have mercy on me. Now, there are two reactions to these cries of Bartimaeus. First reaction is a reaction of the crowd. The hordes of travelers with Jesus are simply annoyed by Bartimaeus. They're annoyed. I mean, after all, there's more important things going on here 
Bartimaeus. I mean, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem to set up the kingdom over the Romans. And certainly, he shouldn't be hindered or bothered by the cries of this worthless beggar by the side of the road, should he? There's more important things going on here. So they're annoyed, and they basically just tell him to shut up. Be quiet. Go away. But there's something that we can't miss here. Remember that the people traveling on the road with Jesus are religious people. They're covenant people on their way to celebrate a religious holiday. And they're annoyed by the needy. Are we different? Are we different? Or do we sometimes just want the poor to be quiet and go away? Because it bothers us to be sitting in our car and see somebody outside the car holding some sign about their need. Or it bothers us to be walking downtown or downtown Indianapolis and seeing someone sitting there with a can because they're poor. So we don't want to be bothered by it. Do we react differently? We need to react differently. I'm grateful for Larry Belcher's Sunday school class dealing with poverty. I'm grateful for the work of the outreach team, Marianne Stroh and Maria Stevens. Because they're wanting to make sure that we as a people, as a congregation, respond differently to the cries of the needy. But Bartimaeus doesn't seem to care that others think his pleas for mercy are annoying. Because for Bartimaeus, this is his one chance to find freedom and deliverance from a life of darkness. So instead of being quiet, we read that he cries out even more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And how does Jesus respond? I said there's two reactions. There's the reaction of the crowd and there's the reaction of Jesus. And how does Jesus react? Jesus stops. He stops. Don't miss how precious this is. Jesus suspends his journey to set up the kingdom, to do the work in Jerusalem, laying down his life that the Father has called him to do. And for whom? For some person of political influence? Some popular celebrity? No. For some poor, blind nobody begging by the side of the road. Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is on the most important mission to ever be walked upon. But he doesn't regard the cries of Bartimaeus as an interruption or distraction. He's not too busy for Bartimaeus. And you know why this is so precious? It's so precious because I'm a poor, blind, broken needy, nobody. But Jesus doesn't regard my cries for mercy as an interruption or distraction. And he doesn't regard yours that way either. Jesus stops. He stops. This is precious, but it shouldn't surprise us. Because showing compassion and mercy and knowing the healing and salvation of God through Jesus is what the kingdom is all about. Mercy and compassion and healing and salvation is what the kingdom of God is all about. And perhaps you could say the people walking on the roadside with Jesus are blind to this. They have forgotten this. That's what the kingdom is. 
But for those with eyes to see now, right here outside of Jericho, there is an epic contest between two kingdoms. It's happening right here now outside of Jericho between the powers of darkness and the light of the world. And Jesus stops and he calls Bartimaeus to himself. Somehow Bartimaeus makes his way there. He's blind. He throws off his cloak, but he gets there. He gets to Jesus. And then when he gets there, Jesus asks what might seem to us a strange question. What do you want me to do for you? Doesn't that seem a little strange to you? I mean, isn't it obvious what Bartimaeus would want Jesus to do for him? Well, if you stop to think about it, not really. What did Bartimaeus want Jesus to do? I mean, what could we assume is the case? I mean, does he want money? Because I'm guessing that that's what most beggars by the roadside wanted. They wanted money. Does he want Jesus simply to declare some kind of blessing upon him so that he could know that his blindness is not some kind of divine punishment for sins he's committed or sins that his parents have committed? What does he want Jesus to do for him? And see, the question of Jesus gets to the heart of the issue for Bartimaeus. The question deals with this. How much or how little does this man want Jesus to do for him? And how much does he believe Jesus can do for him? That's what this question does. And we actually, there's two challenges here for us. And the first challenge is Jesus' question. It's a challenge here for us. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I'm convinced that we don't ask Jesus for certain things because we really don't want them that much. Spiritual healing, deliverance from sin, sanctification. We don't ask for those things with urgency and desperation and consistency because we don't want them that much maybe. I mean, maybe you don't really want to be healed of your bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiving spirit toward that person who hurt you. So you don't ask for it. And maybe we don't want healing in our marriages because we understand what that would require for us. That healing in our marriage means that we have to die to ourselves, that we have to admit that we're part of the problem and that we're going to have to change drastically and radically so we don't ask. Maybe we don't really want eternal life because in the end, we would prefer our sinful addictions and our worldly possessions, like the rich young ruler. He stops asking because in the end, he just really doesn't want it over the things that he possesses. Maybe you don't want to let go of the wounds of the past because you've grown comfortable living in self-pity and you're clinging to your guilt that tells you that you're not worthy and we just prefer to remain there. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What you ask for and what you don't ask for is going to reveal a lot about the desires of your heart. What you ask for and what you don't ask for will reveal a lot about the desires of your heart. But we're challenged not only by Jesus' question, we're challenged by Bartimaeus' request. Listen to what Bartimaeus says. I want you to make me see. I want my sight back. I want you to make me whole again. And Bartimaeus must have believed that Jesus could do it or he wouldn't have asked. What do you believe God can do for you? 
When you find yourself in the midst of some kind of darkness, some crisis, some trial, some distress, and your only hope is a miracle of God's mercy, what do you find yourself asking for? Because again, maybe we don't ask for our health to be restored. Maybe we don't ask for our marriages to be restored. Maybe we don't ask for our work situation to improve. Maybe we don't ask for God to work in the mess that we've made of our lives or perhaps the mess that somebody else has made of our lives because in the end we don't really believe that God can do anything about it. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that anything we happen to want we can just ask God for and expect to get it. It's not magic. He's not a genie in the bottle. What I am suggesting, though, is our requests reveal something not only about the desires of our heart, but our requests reveal something about what we believe God can do. Not what we can believe what God can do in light of our whims, but what we believe God can do for His glory, for the expansion of the kingdom, and for our sanctification and blessing. So what are your requests revealing about what you believe God can do? individually. You're asking for deliverance of sin because you believe God is powerful to do that. You're praying for sanctification and victory because you believe God can do that. Or do you not pray for those things because deep down you just don't really believe? This is not just an individual challenge. It's corporate. As we move forward with the building project, with church planting, with outreach, with missions, with pursuing our five core values, what will our requests as a church reveal about what we believe God can do for us and what we believe God can do through us? It seems that what we're challenged to do here is to be bold in our requests and to be believing in our requests. Not because God is there just to give us whatever we want, but we can be bold in our requests because Jesus is rich in mercy And we can be believing in our requests because Jesus is limitless in his power. So be bold. Be believing that God can give you the things he promises you in his word. And in the end, trust God to do what is right. Be bold, be believing, and trust God to do what is right. And for Bartimaeus, his boldness and his belief is not in vain. Jesus restores his sight. The kingdom of light is stronger than the kingdom of darkness. But it's important that we realize that Bartimaeus' story doesn't end here because we read also of a response to deliverance. So let's consider that third, our response to deliverance. How does Bartimaeus respond? He responds by becoming a follower of Jesus. That's how the episode ends. He's following Jesus. Bartimaeus doesn't just receive his sight, he receives a new life. You see, coming to Jesus and knowing him as your savior and your deliverer from darkness always means bowing to him as the Lord of your life. You cannot separate those two. Knowing Jesus as your savior always means bowing to him as your Lord. Jesus confronts your darkness, he confers deliverance, and then he calls you to discipleship. Salvation isn't just about coming to Jesus for spiritual healing and then just going on our way as if nothing really happened. And and knowing the salvation that Jesus brings is not just about finding relief from our misery. 
It's about having our hearts captured by the one who's delivered us. We could say it this way. Receiving true sight is catching a vision of the beauty of Jesus. Receiving true sight is catching a vision of the beauty of Jesus. Think about this. The first face that Bartimaeus saw when he was healed was the face of Jesus. And he couldn't help but follow. Some of you are undoubtedly aware of this phenomenon called imprinting that happens with baby chicks or baby geese or goslings. Um, Conrad Lorenz, he's an Austrian scientist who won a Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology in 1973 for his work in this area. And what he discovered is that baby chicks and goslings, when they're hatched from the eggs, they will attach to whatever they first see. And most commonly, this is the mother. But even if it's not the mother, they'll attach to whatever it is and they'll follow it wherever it goes. And it's very hard to reverse this. It's called imprinting. I think there's something we can learn here. For those who are born again, Those who are truly regenerated, the first thing that we see with healed spiritual eyes is the beauty of Jesus, and we can't help but follow. That's what healed people do. That's what born-again people do, is they follow Jesus. So here's our question. Are you following Jesus? Are you being who he calls you to be? Are you going where he calls you to go? Are you doing the things he calls you to do? That's following Jesus. But let's not be under any mistaken notions. For following Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean that our lives are going to be easy. It's not what it means. I mean, think about the road on which Bartimaeus begins to follow Jesus. It's the road to Calvary. It's the road to the cross. That's where he's following Jesus. And Jesus himself says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's no other way to follow Jesus than to deny yourself and take up your cross. And that means, you know what? There's going to be darkness ahead for every one of us. There's going to be darkness ahead for us. We're going to have to go through dark valleys. There's a lot of darkness in the world And we're going to have to pass through those valleys, all of us. But you can know this. Jesus still stops for anyone who calls upon his name. So in the midst of whatever dark valley you find yourself, whatever painful trial, you can cry out to Jesus. And you can know that he hears you, that he will respond in mercy, and he can do amazing things. More than all we can ask or even imagine. One more thing. But what about those who are physically blind, who are physically sick, who are physically dying? Is all we can do with with Mark chapter 10 is spiritualize it to make it relevant for us? Or does Jesus still work these kinds of miracles for those who are crying out in the midst of their darkness for healing? Well, the answer to that question is clearly Yes, Jesus still works this way. But he does so in his time. He does so in his time. It might be in this life people find healing for their blindness or their sickness or their terminal illness. But what we can say for certain is the next time Jesus plants his feet on this earth, he will stamp out every trace physically 
and spiritually of the curse. And there will be no more blindness. There will be no more deafness, no more paralysis, no more sickness. And everyone who calls out to Jesus for mercy now will conquer even the grave and death itself and find eternal light and life through Jesus. Praise be to his name. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for sending us Jesus to deliver us from our darkness. Help us to cry out to him in mercy and to walk in the light as we follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.